my granddad had suffered a stroke. And one day, my grandma calls me in the morning and she says, Britt, Pop is really worried about you. He thinks that you called at midnight and said something's wrong. I need you to call and tell him that you're fine. And she's like, you know what, just tell me and I'll tell him. Well, it didn't work. And he was adamant, something being wrong and basically said we were taking something from him. He lived 30 minutes away. I just loaded Agnes up. He hadn't met her. I went out there and I was like, Pop, I just, because you called me last night. And I said, I didn't, but I'm here. And he said, you said that something was wrong and you had to show me something. I said, well, I brought Agnes because you haven't met her. And then I left and I guess it didn't go away. He just kept telling my grandma, like, I just really think something's wrong. And then that night, I thought, I I forgot, I forgot. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I'm your host, Bette Lucas. Bette Lucas with a little bit of a cold. But really, how are each one of you? You know, in some ways, 2021 has seemed almost as crazy as 2020. And I do know that for a lot of you, this past year has been really hard. And yet for others, there have been silver linings. And truly, most of us experience both. You know, I gathered with some girlfriends last week, and even though 2020 presented some challenges for us all, we all said how much we enjoyed the slower pace and being with our immediate family more. And so many commented that there were reminders of what is truly important and that in many ways, the changes of the past year put our lives in perspective. And if there was ever a year to remind us that we are not in complete control, Well, 2020 was just that. And I have to tell you, I often used to say the phrase, everything happens for a reason. And then I had some horribly tragic events happen to a friend, and I could not understand them and the violent things she went through. I hear of tragic abuse to children, and I can't explain those either. I don't know why some of these tragedies have to happen, but I do believe that all challenges can eventually be used for learning and good, or at least that's my hope. And just maybe, maybe that is our job here, to shine some light in and on the dark and move on from it better, more mindful, kind, and compassionate people. I'm reminded that there are silver linings out there. The hard happens beyond our control, but we can control how we react, how we grow, and even how we impact others in our response. My guest today, Britt, her choice is clear. And whether she realizes it or not, her response to her challenges have changed me and so many others for the better. Britt and her husband, Jeremy, are cattle ranchers in New Mexico. With the help of their eight kids, her sister and brother-in-law, they run a family business called Bell Road Beef. The cool thing is Britt and her sister dreamed up this business so they could work together and pool their unique talents. In 2020, the Fisk's youngest child, Agnes, was born. Soon, their baby daughter's serious health issues became evident. Britt bravely walks us through what their first few months looked like for dear Agnes. She shares about the many difficulties as well as the miracles and moments of hope. In addition to Agnes's health challenges, Britt has faced her own shocking news. But... Britt's journey is one of grace, strength, and faith. Given these hard circumstances, many would have given up or become bitter. Britt remarkably reflects the opposite. I'm telling you, grab a Kleenex because Britt's story will hit home. Britt shares her hope that through these struggles, she learns, grows, and can help others. 
She shares that letting go is key, though contrary to her caretaking nature. Her theme is clear. We cannot always control what happens to us in life, but we can control our response, choices, and attitude. Here's Britt. Hello, Britt. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. It's such an honor to have you here today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I just have this feeling, and Britt may say, no, 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 but I have this feeling that anyone who comes into contact with Britt is touched by her story. I just I just know this in my heart, and Britt and I connected through social media, and I have been honored to see her journey, and to me, so much of the life that she lives is bold in many ways. And so today, we're going to talk to Britt, as I said in the intro, a little bit about what she does, where she lives, her family life, and also some recent kind of news that she's received and how she's dealing with that, and also uh, her advice through some of these challenges, as some of us might say, or, or things that have come up in her life. And I think Britt has such wisdom to share and is really a light for all of us to experience. So Britt, I'm so, so excited to have you here. And I know I will learn so much from you as well. But for the listeners that aren't connected with you on social media or aren't your neighbor next door, let us hear a little bit about you. So can you share a little bit more about yourself? Sure. And you're so kind to say all of that. I'm humbled and I'm not so sure that everybody who meets me is touched by me, but maybe someday, maybe someday I'll get there. But I am a mom to eight kiddos. We live on a ranch in Northern New Mexico where I grew up and left and never thought I would come back. But here I am and there's no place I'd rather be now. We raised beef cattle. And just recently, in fact, just a little over a year ago, we diversified our operation and joined hands with my sister and brother-in-law to not only raise beef cattle, but sell beef across the nation to anyone who wants to purchase just to have beef at people's doorsteps instead of having to go to the grocery store. We're actually the people that you can know as your rancher. So that's just a little bit about me and where we are right now in our journey. And Britt, how did you decide that you wanted to start this? You know, you've been a rancher, you've probably always sold, you know, you're selling the beef there locally, or how did you decide you wanted to kind of take it online and tell your story and get it to people's doorsteps nationwide? How did you decide that? Well, truly, years ago, my sister thought of the idea. And at the time, I think she was living in Fort Worth. I was in Oklahoma, and we had no working connection to the ranch. And then we moved back, my husband and I, right when our first was born, and he's 10 now. And just in the last couple of years, my sister and I have always wanted to do something together. She's in Chicago, which is way too far away. But we talk daily, we have the same dreams and aspirations, and we just brought the idea back up again. Because in, in this industry, it's always good to be able to diversify. And I think with most industries, it's similar. So not only raising the cattle, but also raising some to the full extent from birth to the actual processing and having meat on the table. And luckily, my sister and brother-in-law work for a beautiful nonprofit organization and have marketing skills like none other. And so we just thought, you know what? We've got the perfect team. We've got my husband who's hands on the ground. I could run the social media aspect of it. My sister's an artist by trade doing all of the graphic design and imaging. And my brother-in-law takes care of the marketing. And so we thought, you know what? It may not work, but it may. And we wanted to try it. And so I went to a course in March of 2019. And we got our LLC in May, started feeding the cattle that we were going to eventually sell. And we had our first sell in November. So we've been at it right about 14 months now. 
And it's just been a fun journey and a way to, like I said, um, have a dream with my sister and um, pull all of our, our both big families together to make it happen because it takes each one of us, even our tiny little ones. So it's been great. It's been fun and we've got lots left to learn, but we are really enjoying the ride. So that's where we well, are. I love this story so much. And I just, I really am a believer that there is plenty of room out there for people to start the business of their dreams. Like, I really believe that. And some people might say, oh, bet you're just an optimist. But I see it over and over again. And how cool it is that you were able to do this with your family, not just your immediate family, but you know, also your your yeah. extended your sister, your brother in law. I just think that is such a cool story, and I've loved how you've put together the Bell Road beef. I just think it's a mm. it's it's really genius. So that is amazing. And you mentioned your children. So you have eight children. What are the ages of your eight children? So. My oldest is 10 and a half and my youngest is six months. And then it's just kind of a stair step in, in between. It's 10, 9, 8, 6, 5, 4, 2, and 6 months. So they're all really close together. Well, they're just beautiful. And you. you homeschool, so you're able to have them help out with Bell Road Beef too, it sounds like. Yes. And that's been such a beautiful benefit uh, I backing up never in my wildest dreams that I would be a homeschooling mom. Like I was probably the one that was making jokes about homeschoolers when I was in school, which I really regret now. But um, it's been so neat because they can have that life experience, that education that comes with doing things and building community and building a business. And right now, that may be just putting each box together or helping sort the beef into the various cuts or putting stickers on some of our promotional pieces. But they really feel a huge part of it. And that's what we've always wanted. And if, it, if we're blessed that this continues for generations, then they were in on it from the very beginning. Oh, I love that. Well, I had a really unique situation growing up. I was raised by both my mom and stepdad and my dad and stepmom. Oh, and my wow. it was such a cool experience. And both of my families had family businesses. And oh, neat. it was so, I was going to tell you that as a daughter experiencing that, I really credit a lot of my career to those skills I learned back then. Oh, that makes me feel so much better even. What were your what were their businesses? So, this is funny. When my dad is in the construction like marine construction uh-huh. and he, they had me working in his office and then slowly out in the field like the construction oh my field gosh. How when neat. when I was really young and even in high school and then my dad has always been a rancher as well. And yes, and he's in the central Oregon area. And so I would go actually in two different worlds a lot, but Mm -hmm. it was such good life skill training that so many children today, I think are missing out on. And Mm -hmm. what you're giving your family is so, so valuable. And, you know, I'm biased, but I I just feel like I learned so much and I'm sure your children are learning so much. I hope so. I hope so. Through social media, I have been, you know, watching your journey and you recently welcomed baby Agnes, your, Mm -hmm. and baby Agnes, you said is how old again? She will be six months in just a couple, like a week and a half. You welcomed baby Agnes and she, upon arrival, there were some health challenges. Can Mm -hmm. you share a little bit about those? Sure. In all of my previous pregnancies, I had had very smooth pregnancies, easy deliveries and very healthy babies. And And they noticed in this pregnancy that I had, or that I guess Agnes had a two-vessel umbilical cord, which typically it's a three-vessel cord. But it's one of those things that 
they, uh, when you ask about, you're like, well, it could mean a lot of things or it could mean nothing. Like it could mean that she might have health problems or it could be just a fluke. So there was really never any sound advice or things to really look into in terms of determining what that might mean for us. And I had had that early genetic testing done just because I was considered advanced maternal age and also uh, because we wanted to find out the gender early. And all of that came back fine, however you word that in terms of it. She didn't show to have any genetic disorders or any of that. Well, so when the delivery was fine and when she arrived, I started hemorrhaging. So I wasn't able to really hold her right away and take a good look at her. And the nursery nurse was like, huh, she's got a really big bruise on her leg. And I said, that's odd because the delivery wasn't bad at all. And it was very quick. She was well, and she's got a few other things that maybe you just need to be aware of when you change your diaper. It doesn't just look exactly as it should. <laughs> when I'm over in the other bed hemorrhaging, all I can uh, think of is what in the world is wrong? Like, right. I even asked, like, I said, do we, you know, do we have a little girl? Like, is that true? And she's like, yeah. And beyond that, there was nothing that they could really say at that point. And so mm-hmm. we had our midday and our pediatrician didn't make rounds until around five and came in and she's always real bubbly and telling us how perfect our kids are, you know, with any of her patients. And she just took a deep breath when she came in the room and I was like, Oh gosh. Um, Mm And she said, I know you're really, really worried about Agnes's vascular malformation. And it's the biggest one I've ever seen. And I said, you mean the bruise on her leg? And she's like, not a bruise. So then she had to explain what a vascular malformation was and then went on to say she didn't know what it would mean for her, but she would figure it out and we she would have a lot of tests run while we were in the hospital. And um, so we were there two days and our pediatrician is incredible and stayed up the entire night and came back with the name of a syndrome the next day, which they called lumbar syndrome. And um, thought that that indeed might be what Agnes had. And so the tests that were run uh, revealed different problems in different categories, which kind of lined up with this particular syndrome. And to go into greater detail, it's an acronym for different things. So the L stands for a lower body hemangioma, which was what her vascular malformation was, which spanned across her bottom and all the way down her left leg. And then the U is urogenital defects, and she had some of those. The M is anything to do with the spine. And the last thing we did discover in the hospital is that she had a tethered spinal cord. And then the B is bony malformations, and her sacrum is messed up. Like, I don't know how best to describe it, but it's just not formed correctly. Then the A has to do with the kidneys. And luckily right now, she doesn't have any problems in that area. And then the R, no, wait, I messed that up. The A has anal rectal things. Mm-hmm. And then the R is the kidney. So the R Got is it. the only thing that Agnes, it doesn't possess an abnormality in right now. So we learned a lot in those two days. And then, of course, like I get home and read every journal I can about it. And it's a really rare syndrome. Um, it's not that it's, I guess it, it ranges in severity, but just the fact that they have to have, I think they have to have four out of the six um, categories to be considered lumbar. And I think some people call, it's also can be called pelvis syndrome. I think there might be a little bit of a difference, but um, anyway, there's your 10 minute answer on Agnes, but she has all of those things and we've been, um, she has a specialist care team and we've had her first major surgery and hopefully surgeries from here on out will all be less severe, but she's on the road to people have asked if she'll ever be healed. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a matter of being healed, but more managing things as they arise. Like she'll never not have her vascular malformation, but it might lessen type thing. 
Right. Do some of those affect her mobility going forward as well? See, and that's the thing we just don't know yet. So what we did in December, so, okay, she had a tethered spinal cord. We knew that based on an x-ray. Well, when she was two months old, we went to get an MRI of it to get a better view. When we received the MRI, one of the radiologists said, I'm not a neurologist, so I'm not going to speak very much on this, but you need to ask some major questions. And I had no idea. And I said, what do you mean? Tell me the questions I need to ask the neurologist. And she just looked at me and said, ask if, if your daughter will ever walk. And I was like, okay. So when we got to see the neurologist, basically what they told us was that they knew that her cord was tethered, but they had no idea of the severity of it. And she had what they called a chaotic lipoma. And it's typically a bulb of fat that sometimes that spinal cord is tethered to, but hers wasn't contained. It had punctured through her spine and had covered her sacrum. And so... In those instances, which they are rare, um, neurologists are very one-sided. Like you're either in this team that you do a prophylactic surgery and hopefully give them the best chance at not having nerve damage, or you're in the complete opposite team of these cases are so severe, you wait and treat them as they become symptomatic. Well, I was always of the mindset that let's just go ahead and have the surgery in order that we don't come upon irreversible nerve damage. Uh-huh. Um, but my pediatrician wanted us to seek a second opinion. And we got a second opinion from one of the world's top pediatric neurosurgeons. And then the next week, I found out that I had cancer and was going to be going to Houston. So my pediatrician said, you know what, Brett, your opinion's from these two different doctors are so drastically different, get one more opinion in Houston. Well, by the grace of God, this name fell in our lap of this pediatric neurosurgeon in Houston. I emailed him late one night as a kind of desperate cry for help. He scheduled an appointment with his entire team for when I was going to be down there receiving testing for my cancer diagnosis. And uh, so we took Agnes with us. By that point, we realized she had start. She was starting to be in tremendous pain. She wasn't when she was born, but she had grown just enough to stretch that spinal cord. And there would be times we would move her that, and she would start screaming and wouldn't stop. So this neurosurgeon wanted to see her in person. Took her to the appointment, and um, he explained that if it was his daughter, she would have surgery that week. And so. We, he said, but you'll have to wait for insurance approval, but I can get her in in three weeks. And then he, I've got big tears in my eyes because it's a risky surgery with her hemangioma. There was a possibility that they would cut part of the hemangioma and she might bleed to death. He, in the midst of COVID, gave me a huge hug and said, I'm going to take care of your baby girl. And at that moment, I said, okay, then take care of her. Yes, we'll do the surgery. We'll be back. All of that to say, when they went in for surgery, it was more complex than they ever imagined. They discovered she also had spina bifida, but the best case of spina bifida you can have. And he thinks she'll walk. I mean, he has said that all of the neurosurgeons we sent her scans to honestly said, there's no reason she should be moving right now like she is based on her scans. Like there's no explanation for why she can wiggle her toes and move her legs her lower legs. So they have great hope that she just may be one of those people whose images never match up with what she's capable of doing. But so we have hope that she will, but it's also one of those things that we just won't know until that time comes. Wow. I cannot thank you enough for sharing such a a vulnerable and hard time with all of us so that we can get a glimpse into your world because I can only imagine trying to put myself in your shoes. And I really, really admire your strength and your perspective. Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content 
on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. So you're kind of proceeding with Agnes. You're you're dealing with a lot of this news on what to do and carrying that as a mom only can, which is, it's a, that's a lot to carry. How did your cancer diagnosis come out through all of this? How did you find out? Well, it was weird. I um, Right before I had Agnes, I um, felt a knot in my breast. And um, I thought, of course, that it was just part of pregnancy and part of getting ready to have a baby. And mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'll just get that checked out at my six months month postpartum thing, not a big deal. Um, and then we had Agnes and all of her health concerns just became top priority. And truthfully, I forgot. And then when I went to my six month postpartum check, I was even distracted. And I, my OBGYN is incredible. And he, after our meeting, he asked about Agnes. And so I was getting his advice on some of the different abnormalities she had and left the appointment without having an exa- a breast exam. And um, so I had forgotten about it again. And then this is bizarre. But my granddad had suffered a stroke maybe a year and a half before Agnes was born. And one day my grandma calls me in the morning and she says, Britt, um, Pop is really worried about you. He thinks that you called at midnight and said something was wrong. I need you to call and tell him that you're fine. Well, and she's like, you know what? Just tell me and I'll tell him. Well, it didn't work. And he was adamant about something being wrong and basically said we were keeping something from him. So I just, he lived 30 minutes away. I just loaded Agnes up. He hadn't met her. So I went out there and I was like, Pop, I just, he goes, you called me last night. And I I didn't, but I'm here. And he said, you said that something was wrong and you had to show me something. I said, well, I brought Agnes because you haven't met her. And he just chuckled. He's like, what is that, number 17? <laughs> He's with right. it enough to give That's me always a, the answer, right? a, hard, a hard time about my kids. And then um, I left and I guess it didn't go away. He just kept telling my grandma, like, I just really think something's wrong. And then that night, I thought, oh, I I forgot. I forgot. So I called my OB the next day, and I said, I just, here's the situation, and they, we're just going to send you to get a mammogram. Um, and so I had it scheduled. It was like two weeks out because in the meantime, we had to take Agnes to get her MRI. So I said, I don't want to do anything until I get back from that which in my mind I still didn't think it was a big deal and um so I didn't tell anybody and we got back home we celebrated my son's ninth ninth birthday I had family pictures taken for our fall session with Christmas cards and in the back of my mind I was like these family pictures might be more important than I realized and then I ended up telling my mom and my husband I was like I've got a mammogram scheduled next week not a big deal. I don't want anybody to worry. I'm just going to go get it done and I'll be home. And my mom refused to let me go by myself. And my husband was frustrated that I hadn't already told him. But so I went and of course, during it all, they said the word suspicious and that they needed to do a biopsy. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> and I uh-huh. kind of left the appointment thinking things are more serious than I had known. Um, and received a call two days later. So about a week after Agnes's MRI, received a call that it was malignant. Um, so then I had to tell everyone because I hadn't, you know, my family is all really close, but I hadn't told anybody because I didn't want to get there and be like, yeah, you've got a clogged milk duct. And then <laughs> to come report that to the entire family. 
So it was, you know, and it was just one of those things that I had to send out this mass message. I didn't want to call everybody saying, you know, I've got almost stage three breast cancer. So it just was a lot. And I feel like still that things are just so fast and you just go to the next step and live the next day that there might be a day when it's all said and done that we just sit down and we're like, I can't believe all of that just happened. But we're just in the throes of it now. You know, it just seems like our, just part of our life now. I just, that story of your granddad, oh my gosh, I just, I feel him sensing that, like how you describe that. It's just so powerful. And in your defense, I think that your story is so relatable because I can't tell you the number of times where when you're dealing with, you know, new motherhood, especially if you have a baby with some health challenges, the things that have to deal with you, it's not that you're you're really trying to put them aside or forget them. It's just there's only so much space sometimes. Right. And it just doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't. And, and you don't, it's not like you're trying to like purposely put it off and you legitimately, and I I want the listeners to understand this if they've never experienced this, I legitimately can see you at your doctor appointment, not thinking about it. Like it's just, it's just that it's not, you only have so much space sometimes. And we as moms, whether we mean to or not, a lot of times we have this ability, good and bad to push some of those things out of our mind that we think aren't that big of a deal. You know, at the time right. it's like, oh, it's something I need to check right. on. And it's not like a tire that went pop. It's like a tire mm-hmm. that's like got a slow leak, right? <laughs> it's a yeah. slow leak. And every once in a while you're reminded of it. Mm-hmm. So during the time with Agnes's surgeries and everything that was happening, did you have times where you couldn't participate because you were having to get treatment yourself? Yes. So, and it, I know everything always works out as it should and that there's a reason why things happen the way they do, but nothing happened as we expected it to. So I finished with all of my scans and everything at MD Anderson right before Thanksgiving. And oddly, as I was there, the granddad I was so worried about passed. And I made it home just in time for his funeral. And then we had Agnes's surgery scheduled and I was scheduled to receive chemo that week. And I, I called him and I said, is there any way that I can move chemo back just one week in case I feel terrible? At least I can be there for Agnes's surgery in a couple of days while she's in the hospital and then I can come home and start my treatment. And they said, yeah, it's just been, it'll just be one extra week. That will be fine. Well, the morning of Agnes's surgery, the hospital's COVID policies changed and only one person could be with her. We both got to be there during surgery, but only one person could stay with her. And then that person could change every 24 hours. So she had surgery on a Friday and it was an eight-hour surgery. And uh, then I stayed Friday Saturday, Friday and Saturday and left Sunday night to start chemo on Monday. And my husband was with us and he took over on Sunday and it was supposed to be a four to six day hospital stay. Well, like I said, when they got in to do the surgery, they discovered how complex it was. So when they removed that lipoma, Agnes was missing a section of her spinal, not her spinal cord, the dura of her spinal cord plus a section of her spine, and then the muscles surrounding it. So one of the major complications after a surgery like this is the leaking of spinal fluid in a normal patient. Well, she didn't have the dura and the bone and the muscle to create a proper closure. So they had to graft nearby muscles and use a bovine pericardium to create a dura that wasn't there. And so it was pretty intense and she did really well, but the doctors never in their wildest dreams thought that they would fully detether her, which he did. He's the most amazing doctor I've ever known. Um, And then he created that, that 
affection that wasn't there. She was doing well. She had a she had problems voiding for a few days, and they thought that was weird. But they would just intermittently cast her. Well, what we then discovered was she was going to be released the next day, and I feel like that intermittent casting kept us in the hospital long enough to see that she was leaking spinal fluid. And had we gotten home, it would have been a huge emergency. And uh-huh. so she, that spinal fluid was leaking. She developed meningitis and they had to open her back up. So when they opened her back up, they grafted more muscle to create a better closure. And she started all over. And the second time she had no trouble voiding. Like, I feel like it was just God's way of getting us to stay at the hospital. But it seemed like one thing, one complication led to another. As great of care as they were taking of her, she just, her vascular malformation has caused her to have horrible tissue. So the healing was a really long process. Well, after the second surgery, three or four days came and the bottom of her incision opened up. And spinal fluid was pooling in her back, but luckily it never left her body. Um, We had to do different types of pressure dressings to get it to go down, but it never came out of that incision, which was the great scare. Um, And that would have led to finally putting a shunt in her brain. But by the grace of God, um, that didn't happen. She was in the hospital three and a half weeks, and uh, we expected her to be there four to five days. So Agnes and my husband missed Christmas, but we just made it work. And they got home through the generosity of somebody's private plane um, because she had to lay flat in order to not put any pressure on her wounds. And then we just finished three to four weeks of wound care. And the incision is fully closed now. And she's as happy as can be. She's just a different baby. And I truly believe that everything fell into place as it should. And I almost even wonder sometimes if the timing of my cancer diagnosis forced us to find that miracle doctor in Houston that saved her life. I really, I really think it all just was orchestrated that way. You know, even if the struggles that caused that to happen happened, it saved her. I really think it did. And I know some might think, me saying saved her was dramatic, but the surgery was extremely risky in her particular case. And then to have the complications she did afterwards, I really believe that there were so many miracles that got us to where she is right now. Wow. And is she home now? And how is that going? She's home. And it's so it was so sweet because we get daily pictures and FaceTimes from the hospital with Jeremy and uh, she would just look at us kind of like a zombie, not smiling very much. And the minute she got home, like she has giggled every day. Just seeing her interactions with her siblings and she's the happiest little girl. And I feel like part of her healing is contributed to her to her being home. I mean, the majority of the major stuff happened at the hospital, but she continued on a good path because she knew, she knew she was where she needed to be. And she's, like I said, just a week shy of six months now. And she's not, she's a little behind. Like she's rolled over maybe twice. And I, they said that's to be expected that her motor still will come a little bit later, but she's moving so well. She's not in pain and she's just as sweet as she's so smiley like she just has this like these this smile that kind of just lights up in a Mm -hmm. photo and in every video I've seen anyways I just I can tell that she is such a joy so how are you feeling and how is your cancer treatment going and how are you managing all of that you know it's going well I would like to say I'm handling it really well. <laughs> Last week, maybe you could prove differently. Um, I had two rounds of a specific protocol they wanted to try, and they wanted to do an ultrasound midway through. Well, when I went to get my ultrasound, the tumors in the breast were shrinking, 
but the tumors in the lymph nodes were growing. And I still don't fully understand why. They said it's a heterogeneous response to cancer treatment and then it can be fairly common. So basically what they had to do was change my chemo regimen. And I'm just such, I'm such a planner. I like to be in control. I like to look out at this month and know what I'm going to be doing. And the last six months of my life have really helped me work on detaching from that because anytime it's funny, like I would say, okay, well, I've got four cancer treatments. I can get through that as long as I don't have this specific treatment regimen. Well, <laughs> now I do, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that. And I found myself doing that with Agnes all the time. I'm like, you know, cause when it first started, the biggest concern on our minds were these ulcers that she would have on our bottom that weren't healing. And I was like, I can get through this as long as, uh, her spine isn't going to be a problem. Well, then her spine was a problem. You know, like it was just one thing. Like, and I feel like in a way God was like, you can get through anything with me, but you have to let me lead you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, so I'm trying to get away from doing all that, but all of that to say, they switched my regimen to this particular type of chemo that some refer to as the red devil, which that doesn't bother me. Some people have said I need to change the name to have a more positive outlook, but I mean, that's what it goes by. It's a pretty toxic chemo. And um, I have had one session. I'll have another session on Monday uh, and then I'll go back for another ultrasound to see if this protocol is working. And then the possibility of another drug every week for 12 weeks another chemo and then surgery and then radiation all within like the next nine months I think by and large I'm doing well like the week of chemo what I find is there's this heavy fog that's almost hard to describe it's, it's like you can't even control your your own body like you're doing nothing you're sitting there in a chair and you think well maybe I should learn to knit or maybe I should read a book and it's like you can't even get your mind to do to do enough to text someone. And that's hard for me because I'm usually a caretaker, you know, and I'm having to give that up and allow people to care for me, which is humbling. And other side effects are lingering, but don't seem as bad. Like little things like, of course, like your hair falling out and then there's sores in my mouth all the time and things like that that are manageable. But sometimes. I don't know why it is, but the fog and fatigue make me look at the next nine months and go, how in the world are we going to get on the other side of it? Um, but some, so many people keep reminding me that like, you have to just do a moment at a time and know that you're given the grace for that moment at a time. And you're not given tomorrow's grace today, but it's been a huge surrender for me. So, and I, it just made me realize how much I needed to be in control and how much I said that I trusted God and that I wanted him to totally take over, but how I never let him. And like even, and this sounds silly, but I'm the person who has a baby and before I leave the hospital, I want another one. So right. I would, <laughs> I've been praying for so I'm like, God, you have to make it really clear. Or I might have 25 children. Like, I don't know. Um, and he did. Like, I like I think they're more than likely they'll take my ovaries, if not everything, at the end of this. And it's just this like, <gasps> I, I wanted you to be clear, but I didn't want to be done. Okay. And I know this is the answer. And I know I needed an answer. So I would never feel like, feel like I made that decision but like the cancer's hard but the idea that my family's complete even though I have eight babies is mm -hmm. what I can't I can't think about very much you know because I think sometimes like Agnes is our last baby and I feel like the first six months of her life have already been a blur in this newborn phase mm -hmm. it's a phase that is my favorite mm -hmm. so in so many ways which is hard. I feel like I'm learning to let go. And I didn't realize that I didn't, that I wanted to learn it, but I didn't really want it to. So it's just, if I can sit back and see a bigger picture, I'm okay. But on the days that are hard and I see bits and pieces of everything I'm being asked to let go of, I get overwhelmed. But if I can 
if I can just thank God from for the trials to hopefully on the other side be a better person, then it, then it makes it easier to go through. But those are the hard things. <laughs> you know, it's it's so powerful and I just want to soak in everything that you said. It's hard to even want to ask you anything right now. And I'm sure people listening will feel the same, but I think that what you're saying is so true that sometimes people don't understand because they'd probably be like, well, Britt, you have, you have eight children. You should be, you should be glad you have eight. But I think you put it so, so beautifully that it's still hard to accept that you may be done. You know, that's still really, really hard to accept. It doesn't make it easier if you have one or if you have 10. It really doesn't. Britt, you're going through a lot. You have all of this beautiful wisdom to share. What is the advice when people are asking you you know, how do you do it? I love your one step at a time, one day at a time, grace for that moment. Are there other pieces of advice that you feel people should take to account when they're going through something hard or challenging? Yeah, I really would say, and it's funny because, you know, you can ask me for a piece of advice to give to somebody. And it sounds like I'm really good at maybe following my own advice, but but it's a struggle. Uh, like, I feel like sometimes, you know, people ask that question and I know, I guess what I should say is I have no authority on suffering or getting through things. But what I've learned is the major takeaway, truly what I've learned is to simply say, and if I'm of the right mindset, I can, Jesus, I trust you. Like, I don't know why you're, why this is happening but I'm going to trust you because the thing about it is like with this whole situation and granted, there's so many people out there who have so many more struggles and pains than I do, but to look back and to see people that have been put in our lives years ago, that all of a sudden makes like a person whose daughter had a tethered spine and I had never heard of a tethered spine before. And we had spent, a good deal of time talking about it six months before Agnes was born and I had no clue she would also have one. Me getting this, like I said, me getting this diagnosis that I truly think led us to Agnes's neurosurgeon. Just different things. A healed relationship with a family member that had the relationship, the broken relationship had crushed me for years, but it's healed now. Like, I don't know what's coming in the future that I wouldn't be able to accept possibly if I had another child. I have a hard time talking about that, like you said, in the sense that I have eight children who I love dearly. And I finally understand a tiny piece of those who aren't able to. Or those women that I've met recently who have the same diagnosis that I have, who've had a hysterectomy before they were even able to have a child. Like, it does make me see the blessings all around Uh and it makes me have a greater sense of empathy for those around me. But at the same time, it also helps me to go, you know what, like this part of it, and I can either fight God the entire way, or I can trust that the beauty will be revealed at a certain point in time. And truly, if you look, it doesn't take much searching it really doesn't. And like, so I know that's what I was telling my mom and my husband when he brought us all the way here and he took such good care of us up until now. Like, why would he leave us now? Like, he don't. And this is part of it. So the ability to say, I just trust it. I just trust and let go because there's nothing you can do. And if you can let go and watch it unfold, it's just, changes you. I love that. And like you said, we can't fight it and we have to let go. And I I had an aunt that used to say, 
and I think a lot of people say it, but let go and let God. And I think that's what you're saying so beautifully. And more than just saying it, you're living it. And Um, through your story (laughs) and sharing it with all of us. And, you know, a lot of people have felt like this year has been a hard year. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important for us all to have perspective. And even you who are going through so much, you're willing to say there are people that are struggling more than I am. And I think maybe we all need to realize that, yes, it was a hard year for many of us and and some it was harder than others, but hearing journeys like yours, I think it's really important to keep perspective and honored that you would share it with with all of us. So Britt, if people want to connect and check out your Instagram, how do they find you? How do they connect with your story? I do all of my Instagrams from our Bell Road Beef account. I run that and I probably do more. It's got a lot of our personal stuff too. So it's just Bell, like the Bell, B-E-L-L, Road, R-O-A-D, Beef. So that's that. I've kind of revived my old blog, thefiskfiles.com. Um, but I think I have links to all of that through my Instagram. So it's kind of all consolidated right there. No, I think that's perfect. And I know after today's interview, many people are going to want to keep you in their thoughts and their prayers for your healing and through your cancer journey and the healing of Agnes. And I'm just so honored that you would share your story with us today. Oh, I'm so honored you would ask. I really am. Well, please stay in touch and we will continue to keep the listeners posted on your journey and that of Agnes's and and thank you for encouraging us all to have faith over fear. And really, that's the challenge for us all. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, vetlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.